There's a guy named Dave Smith. He was the first Disney archivist. And I've been reading his stuff for 20 years now. And that was what I wanted to do is I wanted to kind of be a Disney archivist. And I wanted to be the librarian at the Disney archives, which is a really weird thing. That's Greg Koberger, founder and CEO of ReadMe, an online documentation company. I'm Maureen Taylor, co-founder of SNP Communications, and this is Think Like a Founder. When I first met Greg, ReadMe was just beginning. As we continued to work together, I've gotten to see Greg grow with the company, and what has always struck me is his creativity and curiosity. He has a deep desire to learn, which is essential to the founder mindset. With these qualities, he tries to bring a sense of fun to everything he does by finding inspiration in ordinary, everyday things that can make the ReadMe community more vibrant for the people who work there. One of the biggest challenges a founder has is to learn how to be a good and effective leader. So I asked Greg about what he's learned as he steps further into his role as a leader. When I started the company, I wasn't a leader. I was just writing all the code. I was doing everything. I was doing the design work, doing all the sales, stuff like that. Then we started hiring people. And for a long time, I was still doing the same things. I was doing a little bit of hiring, but I was also writing code and all that stuff. It's been kind of interesting to see how, as those jobs have been replaced by people who are much better at it than me, how my roles had to change. So that's kind of what I've been going through for the past few years and will for the next few years as well, I'm sure. As Greg's role shifted, he began to realize the kind of impact a leader can have on the company culture. How a leader's personality can set the tone, affect the vibe, the people, and their productivity. So then he mentioned a time when I had him take an assessment kind of like a personality test. The result is you get this like long packet of information about you. There's a section in it about what your office looks like. And I read through the answer we had to this. It described our office exactly. It's like colorful posters on the walls with this kind of stuff, probably brick walls. It was creepy how close it was. All this test knew was kind of just my answers to my personality. And uh, it was weird how well it was able to kind of describe the office. And I think it definitely is a reflection of me and a reflection of the people. It's nice but not too fancy. We do a good job. We put a lot of effort into making it feel clean and friendly without feeling too pretentious or too nice. And it kind of attracts the people we want to attract. And everyone works incredibly hard, but also is friendly, outgoing, nice. We get along. We eat lunch together every day, hang out outside of work. We've built an awesome company of people who just really like each other and trust each other. It's a little rocky as, as we grow, but the people we've attracted have been the people that are those same kind of people. A lot of long-standing companies mm -hmm. that have been around for a while, an interesting data point is that the founder did learn how to run the business as well as build the product, think of the idea, mm -hmm. create the culture, have the vision, come up with something disruptive that nobody else has had to do. They're both artist as mm -hmm. well as the position of leader. Mm -hmm. Do you think you're that person? I hope so. So one of the things I like about you and like working with you is you establish values and you stick to them. Tell us what they are. You have six, which I think is three too many, but we've talked about that. <laughs> okay, I'll take my three favorite though. Okay. So a lot of them are product focused. So something like Air on the Side of Whimsy. Um, we got kind of lucky at the company where I was bored by myself, no employees at this point, and I put our little Albert, our mascot, on the login page. And as you tab to the password field, he covers his eyes. And that got incredibly popular. 
And it kind of showed me that I could run a very serious product. Our product, we haven't really talked about it, but it's an enterprise product at the end of the day for developers. People pay us money for it. It's a B2B company. Being able to throw a little bit of whimsy in there was great. And I kind of realized that I didn't have to be serious all the time. We had to be serious about the things that are important, but we could have a little bit of fun here or there. That's definitely a product thing, but we do that in the company as well. We do a lot of fun little things at the company that I think that makes the product better, makes coming to work every day better, makes people better friends. Both in the product and in the company, we really focus on a little bit of whimsy here or there. I always joke that someday I want my job not to be CEO, but a CWO, Chief Whimsy Officer, and just spend all day doing fun little things that make people feel... Uh, when I say fun little things, I don't mean just fun things for the sake of fun. We do a lot of different things. One thing that I do that I really like, I want everyone to feel kind of important. So we give everyone challenge coin. These challenge coins are, of all things, a military tradition. The most common origin story is about a young American pilot in World War I whose life was spared when his would-be executioner recognized the insignia on the coin that he wore on his neck. Traditionally, they are proof if you're challenged that you're actually part of some sort of organization in the military. So like if before the internet or anything like that, if you're, you know, we're talking like 100 years ago, if you're at a bar and I'm in the 501st, you know, someone's like, no, you aren't. You'd pull out your challenge coin, which would tell that you're part of this, even after you had already left. The whole point is if you're challenged, if you can't prove it, you owe them a drink. But if you can prove it, they owe you a drink. So people carried around these challenge coins to prove that they were part of something. And this isn't just for current employees or not even just for employees. It's people who have really helped the company. So we give everyone who uh, is a part of the company a challenge coin like that. Uh, They're all numbered. And we give them out to everyone who just kind of made a huge impression on the company. That is so cool. I got it from uh, a guy named John Favreau, who's a director, Jungle Book and a few others. And he used to do it on movie sets. I just love the idea because it was definitely the actors would get it, but so would the craft service person. Anyone who contributed to this larger thing would get this proof that they were part of the company. It's a little bit of whimsy. It's something that it's not in any startup playbook on what you're supposed to do or whatever, but you know, making people feel involved and stuff like that's been great. We have a credits page as well. So the number on the back of your challenge coin correlates to your number on this list. You can go to the credits page, just like a movie credits. I think founders, as much as I want the credit, we get too much credit. I couldn't have done it without a bunch of employees and a bunch of people who aren't employees, people who gave me a chance when I didn't deserve one, or maybe I deserved it, but like they didn't need to give it to me. And some people actually had nothing to do with the company. They're just people along the way that were amazing managers that set me up for where I want to be. As time has gone on, it's obviously less people have helped me and more people have helped the company. And the the bar for getting one of these has grown a little bit since the early days. Yeah, so one of my favorite things we do is uh, giving everyone challenge coins. And what number is yours? Mine is one. So. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Okay. Number two after me is my friend Eric Willis, uh, who was my first boss when I moved to San Francisco. We worked at a startup together. He was CTO. I was intern. And we spent the entire, you know, about six months together. He was a phenomenal manager and kind of shaped how I look at startups, how I look at San Francisco, how I look at you know, everything since then. We were sitting in this little startup room Back in 2008, we were building out API documentation. And we're like, this should be like a startup. And we talked about it for a bit and kind of forgot about it. But we had the idea together in 2008. Seven years later, I actually started the company. So he was great for two reasons. One was we just sat around and brainstormed the idea together. And two was that most of my thoughts on leadership and management and stuff like that, he was the nexus for a lot of that. Greg is the founder and the CEO. So I asked him what he thinks the difference is. Right now, my job is both. And as time goes on, founders forever. Founder is just kind of a title that just never goes away. There's so many like founders out there who don't work at the company still. Whereas CEO, there's a job description. Founder can mean a lot of different things. Sometimes founders walk away after a week, but still get that title of founder. Sometimes they're there so the company shuts down. 
hopefully I'm the latter and I'm there forever. A CEO's the one who actually runs the company, whereas founders kind of set the tone a little bit more. And there's a lot of examples where they split, where the founder might take a CTO role or might take a chairman role or might leave the company completely. But I think that still trickles down and maybe they have a goal, which is to make more money or to grow the company or to do something. Whereas founder can mean a lot of different things. And, and trying to figure out what what that means for me going forward in the company is tough because I started just to make things. I didn't want to be CEO. It was just the job that, that came along with it. I, I started to build a product, but now I'm realizing that the product itself is going well. Now it's my turn to build the company. It means a lot of hiring. It means a lot of figuring out strategy, things like that. I never really realized the difference between founder and CEO. It was just kind of the title you gave yourself if you were the sole founder of a company. They're very different jobs and it's something I've been kind of trying to understand. So as a founder, you really have to be willing to learn what you don't know about running a business in order to also be the CEO. Yeah, it's tough because at the end of the day, founders and CEOs have very similar goals. But I think that it depends on why the founders replaced a CEO, whether they step down because they don't want to do the job, whether they're stepped down because the board forced them to. But I do think founders make decisions that CEOs can't or won't and vice versa. In the best companies, those are the same decisions. But I make decisions for the company that probably don't make a lot of sense if I was a professional CEO. And I think it makes the company better because of that. Whereas I think a lot of times the CEO could also make decisions that might be better for, for other parts of the business. Not to say that founder makes something cool and CEO kind of worries about the business itself, but that's kind of the split up. And we're really lucky that we have something that I absolutely love that people are willing to pay for. So those two roles can be the same for a long time for us, I think. So I'm really lucky I'm in a position where I get to do both, at least for the foreseeable future. Okay, my last question is when you were a little kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be the librarian at the Disney archives, which is a really weird thing. Like everyone else said normal stuff. I'm like, I want to be a doctor or a lawyer. I had such a very specific job. It wasn't even like I wanted to be CEO of the Disney company because, you know, a lot of people look at Steve Jobs as their model, their idol, whatever. Uh, for me, it was Walt Disney. Not as a person. People are complicated, especially people at this level, but his attention to detail and the way he thought about building product, I loved. It wasn't the movie I loved. It was the learning every little thing that went into the movie, the good, the bad. Uh, a few weeks ago, we went to the Disney Family Museum in, uh, in San Francisco in the Presidio and walked around. I just love the way he thought about building a company back in 1932 when he was starting Steamboat Willie and then Snow White was the first thing. And it's all so obvious in hindsight, but I was reading a quote by him where he was talking about how he thought he was six years late to animation because animation had already been done and all the companies that were going to do animation had already been invented. That's crazy to think about that now, that he thought he was six years too late when we still love movies he made 80 years ago. I give a talk once in a while to my employees about Main Street in Magic Kingdom and just going through all the little things that he thought about and put into it. Back to the thing I said before about the credits, um, I got that from him. If you walk down Main Street and you look at the windows, all the window signs, Roy Disney's florist or stuff like that, I'm making that one up. And he put everyone who worked on the Magic Kingdom, he put in the windows. So if you look up on either side, you can see um, everyone who worked on the Magic Kingdom. He did a really good job of making sure that everyone felt involved. That was what I wanted to do is I wanted to kind of be a Disney archivist. And there's a guy named Dave Smith who died about four months ago, I believe. Now I regret that I never tried to meet him or got to meet him, but he was the first Disney archivist. And I've been reading his stuff for 20 years now. And that's what I wanted to do when I grew up. Uh, so that's really cool. 
That's going to inspire a lot of people. All right, you just got investment. Congratulations. Thank, thank you. And you're on to the next chapter. So now you have money. Now what are you afraid of? Yeah, so things flipped. In fact, I would say we got money because of this fear, not vice versa. But we started to get successful. And we started to realize how much people liked us and depended on us and how we're building something really cool. And the fear became not that no one would like us. I want to make sure that, you know, we didn't, we were in like kind of this like safety mode, but rather now that people really like us and things are going well, it's a different kind of fear where we're trying to make sure that we're living up to this potential and all the pieces we put in place, make sure we actually take advantage of them now. So it's a similar fear. We still don't want to go to business or anything like that. But now my fear isn't, oh my God, we're not going to make it. It's, oh my God, we're on the track to make it. Let's not lose this momentum and like lose all the stuff we put into it. So many people have trusted and read me and worked for read me and helped read me because we gave early customers challenge coins because they were so important to us. It's not just employees, it's everyone. And kind of capitalizing on like put a lot of seeds out there and actually kind of now making sure things have started to sprout, making sure we take care of it and find a way to make that happen. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. That was Greg Koberger, founder and CEO of ReadMe. ReadMe gives teams the tools they need to create, manage, and easily collaborate in personalized online documents. They make it easy to create a beautiful experience for developers who are building platforms. And they're growing like gangbusters. In 2019, they doubled the size of their team and secured $9 million in Series A funding from one of the world's most influential VC firms. Join us next time on Think Like a Founder when I speak to Alicia Jackson, founder of Evernow, a company with a vision to cure menopause. She tells us about her unusual journey from academia to government, to becoming a founder. She also talks about the drive and grit she learned during her first year at MIT, as well as the importance of wit, that's W-I-T, as a business value. I'm Maureen Taylor, and this is Think Like a Founder. Think Like a Founder is produced by SNP Communications in San Francisco, California. Learn more by visiting us at snpnet.com or connect with me, Maureen Taylor, on LinkedIn to continue the conversation there. Series producer is Roisin Hunt. Sound design by Mark Ream. Creative producer, Eli Shell. Content and scripting by Mike Sullivan. Production coordination, Natasha Thomas. Thanks also to Selena, Persiani Shell, John Hughes, and Ren Barra. This is Think Like a Founder.